Our scripture comes to us today from the Gospel of Mark, the 11th chapter. Then they came to Jerusalem, and Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling and those who were buying in the temple. And he overturned the the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He was teaching and saying, it is, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And when the chief priests and the scribes heard it, they kept looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was spellbound by his teaching. And when evening came, Jesus and his disciples went out of the city. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Lord, as your word has been proclaimed, we pray that your spirit Work in us in such a way that we may hear with joy and receive with wisdom what you are saying to your church this day. Through Christ we pray. Amen. I can assure you, as a biblical scholar, that the title of this sermon, Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, is actually appropriate for our scripture passage from the Gospel of Mark. We'll get to the why by and by. The title, however, is borrowed from a 1940 uh, Broadway show tune by Rodgers and Hart from the musical Pal Joey. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I don't know if you know it, but often we have to turn our sermon titles in weeks ahead of time, long before we actually thought what the sermon will do. But I thought I better read that song to see if there's anything in it that could be appropriate for today. And I found that there wasn't. The song starts with, after a whole quart of brandy, and then it goes downhill from there. (laughs) What I can say is that the only connection I could find between the song and the scripture is that there's something scandalous in both of them. Something scandalous. And the sermon revolves around the word we heard in the scripture, that they were spellbound. And I could tell you as a biblical scholar of New Testament Greek that bewitched, bothered, and bewildered are all three good translations of that one word, spellbound. The title of that song, however, helps us to find an inroad into this troubling passage from Mark, one that places us right there in the midst of Jesus last week on this earth. For those who are reading the book, The Last Week, along with Pastor Kuberian, uh, and uh, several of you I know are gathering each week to discuss that day by day, the events of that last week. Some of this may sound familiar, but this is Monday when we hear this text. And in understanding when Jesus cleanses the temple, to understand that event, we need to step back about 24 hours to see what's happened. Many of you know the story. In fact, we'll cover it again in a few weeks when Jesus and his disciples come to the, come to the, 
uh, Jerusalem, and he says, go and get me a donkey. And then getting on that donkey, he rides through the town and the people are all rejoicing. Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, God saves us. And the people were exuberant, exclamatory, and exultant. But in 24 hours, they will be bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Everything, though, about this event that happens in the temple with Jesus walking in. Some people say that it says, oh, you know, Jesus had a temper tantrum, and that means it's okay for me to be angry. We know it is okay for anger is a part of our lives, but I don't want to equate anger that we have in everyday situations with what Jesus does and what he's motivated to do. Everything about this seems prearranged. Even that day before, when Jesus was entering into the city and the people were throwing down their cloaks and the palm branches were waving, step back to that moment when Jesus tells his disciples, go into the city, go into the city, and find there a colt of a donkey tied. And if somebody asks you when you take it, what are you doing? Say, the Lord has, ne the Lord has need of it. Everything seems like it's on track. Jesus knows what's happening. And after that big exultant parade that goes through the city, all Mark says that happened is that Jesus and his disciples went into the temple, they looked around, and because it was late in the evening, they left and went out to Bethany. And so the very next morning, Jesus, on his way back into Jerusalem, has had a few hours maybe to ruminate on what he saw. And what he saw maybe with human eyes was people buying and selling things to be sacrificed to remove their sins and sinfulness away. He also saw people changing money because they were coming for this big festival and they were changing their money from their own home country to local currency. All of this happened all the time. But perhaps what Jesus saw with his prophet-shaped eyes was that there was corruption and exploitation. So was he formulating a plan from that moment all through the night so that by Monday morning he was in a prophet-shaped mood? The very next morning as he's heading back to the temple with his disciples, coming down a hill, he notices a fig tree and he's hungry, the scripture says, and he goes to the fig tree expecting to find figs, and he finds none. And he says to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. And the disciples heard this and they were bewildered. Maybe they were bothered. Maybe they were bewitched by all of that. But I have a sense that Jesus through the night, had the words of the prophet Isaiah moving through him. He heard these words in his head from Isaiah chapter 5. My beloved had a, a vineyard on a very fertile hill, and he dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. And he built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat, and he expected it to yield good grapes. But what he found 
were rotten grapes. Jesus' prophetic anger at the fig tree is just a precursor on his way to his prophesied anger of what's going on in the temple. God had planted a vineyard on a fertile hill and expected to yield good fruit, yet what God found was rotten grapes. Something corrupt was going on in the vineyard. Something likewise was happening in the temple. And Jesus, on entering the temple, we always say that he was throwing a temper tantrum, but everything seems pretty planned out. Maybe he'd been thinking about it all night long. Maybe he'd been thinking about it for weeks. We know what was on his mind as he was approaching Jerusalem. He told his disciples, the Son of Man must undergo suffering and great trials, be arrested, tried, and killed. Was his cleansing the temple all a part of this, part of a means to an end? Was Jesus provoking the religious leaders and the crowds deliberately? Maybe he had the words of Isaiah pounding in his head, Thus says the Lord. And now I will tell you what I, what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. And I will make it a wasteland, and it shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. And I will also command the clouds that the rain not rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the people of Judah are his cherished garden. He expected justice, but he saw bloodshed. He expected righteousness, but heard a cry of woe. Woe. One clue that we have to what Jesus was up to comes all those words when we hear him saying he cast out those who were selling doves, he overturned the money changers' tables, he disrupted everything and would not allow the going back and forth of things to be sold in the temple. For he said, my house shall be, quoting God, my house shall be called a house of prayer for many nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And this Jesus did because he was full of the word of the Lord. That is, he lived his life in such a way that the prophetic voice of Scripture, alive with the breath of God in him, guided his steps, his living, his acting, his healing, his teaching, his making things right in the world, and all of his bothering and bewildering and bewitching of the world. Spirit-led, he caused a godly trouble. It has been this way ever since the beginning of his ministry. We know these stories, at least I hope you do, and if you don't, you will. That when Jesus entered into a synagogue in Capernaum early in his ministry, he cast out the demon of an unclean spirit from a man who was suffering. And the people kept asking, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once his fame was spread throughout the surrounding of Galilee and they were astonished. They were amazed. They were spellbound. We hear it again in in the uh, the sixth chapter of Mark and the seventh chapter of Mark and the tenth chapter of Mark. Write those down. You could go read them. We hear that the crowds were astonished, amazed, spellbound, bewildered, and the same word that we hear in our passage today, I'm not going to tell you the Greek word, but it's close to the word apoplectic. 
which means dumbstruck, struck dumb. And this is how I might see myself in the crowd. I don't know if I were watching Jesus do all these things, if I would be a disciple of his or if I would just be part of the crowd and I'd be wondering, what is he doing? Doesn't he know that he can get himself killed? What would possibly motivate him? In recent days, We've heard new developments in an ongoing story about somebody whose life, in some way, his actions mirror the recklessness, the righteous recklessness of Jesus Christ. Four years ago, a Russian political activist named Alexei Navalny was poisoned and was taken to Germany for treatment and recovery. And what did he do when he was recovered? He returned to the place where he knew he'd be arrested, tried, jailed, and possibly killed. And during his trial, and this is just information that's coming out, during this trial, he made a statement why he did such a thing. The fact is, he said, I am a Christian, which usually sets me up as an example for constant ridicule in the work I do. Because mostly our people are atheists. And once I was quite a militant atheist myself, but now I am a believer. And that helps me a lot in my activities because everything becomes so much easier. It becomes easier, he says. There are fewer dilemmas in my life because there is a book a book in which, in general, it is more or less clearly written what action I am to take in any situation. It's not easy, not always easy, to follow this book, of course, but I'm actually trying. Specifically, Navalny said that he was motivated by the words of Jesus that say, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He goes on to say, I've always thought that this particular commandment is more or less an instruction to activity. And so while certainly not really enjoying the place where I am, I have no regrets about coming back or about what I am doing. It is fine because I did the right thing. On the contrary, I feel a kind of satisfaction because at some difficult moment I did as required by the instructions and did not betray the commandment. Alexei Navalny is not Jesus. He is human like you and I. And I hesitate to bring up something so politically hot in our own time, and certainly not to equate Jesus and Navalny, but to say, to take a moment and say, yes, people can be inspired by inspired words. Navalny by Jesus, Jesus by Isaiah, Isaiah. To do the right thing, even in the face of arrest and trial, imprisonment and death. Jesus, cleansing the temple, troubled and bothered political and religious leaders of his day. He probably bothered everyday folks like you and I, who just wanted life to go on as it was, even if it wasn't that great. One thing we know is that Jesus and his actions startled awake those who were living in a profound bewitchment. And he astounded those who were bewildered by what he said. Jesus, we know from Paul the Apostle, says that Jesus gave up his 
equality with God is so that he would not exploit that. But he came to be human among us. And so that he might be filled with a prophetic zeal. We hear of it clearly in his ministry when he enters the synagogue on his first first sermon we hear in Luke. He goes into the synagogue and somebody holds him the hands him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Do you know that the name Jesus and Isaiah are basically the same name? One is in Hebrew is uh, Yeshayahu, and the other one is uh, Yahashua. I have to be careful how I say that. But they're basically the same name, and they mean God is salvation. So Jesus comes, and he picks up the scroll, and he reads the scripture, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and redemption and being set free for those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all were upon him. And he said to them, Today in your hearing this scripture is fulfilled. And all the people rejoiced. No, they didn't. (laughs) Scripture says that they were bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Actually, what it says is that they were filled with rage. Jesus was filled with prophetic zeal for the work of God. In cleansing the temple, Jesus makes a way. Amid all of that confusion, the corruption, the exploitation, the one who would not exploit his closeness with God, but became humble here in this world. Being filled with prophetic zeal, he did all in godly love. And let us give thanks for what God has done in the ministry of Jesus and sing God's praise for the way that salvific, saving love manifests in our lives, no longer bewitched, bothered, and bewildered, but released recovered and redeemed through Christ, with Christ, and in Christ, who shows us the way, is the way. Amen.